Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today you are going to hear a merchant story. This is a how I did it story. Uh, very unique approach. Uh, actually, this, this guy has two successful e-commerce sites that we're going to dive into a little bit. And specifically, we're going to be talking about process development, uh, automation, creating uh, even software, working with VAs, everything around creating these repeatable processes and tasks, which really will be a game changer to any and all of us. And I'm excited to, to dive into this. Hey, Brett Curry here. I've got an important question for you. Where will your next big idea come from? Where will your next big breakthrough come from? Or where will your next little tweak or little improvement come from? Have a suggestion. Check out our guides and resources at omgcommerce.com. Are you looking to enhance your YouTube ads game? We have two of the best YouTube ad resources that are completely free. Our YouTube ad examples and templates guide and our guide to getting authentic video customer testimonials. But it doesn't stop there. We also have guides on how to maximize sponsor brand video on Amazon and Amazon DSP and Google Shopping and a variety of other things. So get these free guides, give them to your team, even share them with your agency. Just take advantage of these resources and up your game. Let OMG Commerce help. And now back to the show. With me today is the founder of Hoop Swag and Pet Party, Mr. Brennan Agronoff. And so with that, Brennan, what's up, man? And welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to dive into this stuff. Yeah, and uh, love your sites. Uh, we'll talk about Hoop Swag first. I know that's not the primary business, but that was the original. Uh, I am a former basketball coach, just retired this past year, coached at the high school varsity level, my my son, and uh, coached a few years before that. Now I'm kind of helping in a few areas. I'm actually coaching my uh, eight-year-old daughter's uh, uh, game tonight. So this will be the first time coaching eight-year-old girls, uh, which I'm really excited about. But anyway, uh, what was kind of the what was kind of the 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 genesis story? Uh, well, first, what is hoop swag? How did you get into it? And then we'll talk about pet party too, because because they are related. Yeah, so I started Hoopswag uh, back when I was 13, technically, on paper. But it was basically revolved around the fact that I was playing like club basketball or whatever at my school. And back then, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nike Elite socks that have got the blocks yes. on the back. Probably yes. if you coach basketball, you know what those are. But they came out and growing up in Portland, Oregon, I'm like five, 10 minutes from Nike headquarters here. So a lot of kids I'd go to school with, their parents would work at Nike. And so they would always show up to school with the newest whatever. And now they started showing up with these socks. Well, I was a relatively like, I, I did my fair share of research on random things at 13 and figured out these things were $14. And I was like, this is weird. Why are they so expensive? But being my 14-year-old self, I had to get the most colorful ones. I was like, I need these in like neon, but they only you gotta, had to make like, a statement, man. I mean, your Nikes exactly. need to make a statement. Your socks need to make a statement on the court. Everything. You had to be as colorful as you can. Yes. And I figured out the only way you could get these things was some like Instagram shop that I had found um, back when like Instagram was just starting. And so I saved up all my money one summer, which was like $40 mowing the lawn. <laughs> Bought a pair of these socks for literally $40. And buying them at 14 was already ridiculous back in like 2013, more so than it is now. 
So I purchased a pair of these $40 socks. I started wearing a basketball to school and all my friends are like, oh my gosh, these are super cool. Where'd you get those? Like, where can I get a pair? And being my entrepreneurial self, like I'd flip some stuff on eBay, kind of figured out how that whole world works very minorly. Um, but I was like, all right, these don't cost $40 to make. There's just no shot. And so I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make these things. So I started digging into like blogs, Reddit, YouTube, forums, whatever I could get a hold of. We'd talk to print shops and really anyone I could get a hold of on online um, to do as much research into how do you actually get color onto a sock. So after about six months of research, if you will, I finally sort of figured out the process and the equipment that you would need. Got some samples made from a guy locally. I had already flipped some stuff on eBay, so I went ahead kind of proved concept on eBay, if you will, by just selling them um, like half printed at that point. And then I went to my parents with like this giant, I called it a business plan, but it was really just like a big sell spreadsheet that was like, all right, here's how much this stuff costs. Here's how much. But, but how old were you at this time? So you're 14, you're like 14, 15 at this time? I was 13 at this point. So any was, kind of spreadsheet, like at 13, if you're, if you're creating a spreadsheet, I'm definitely impressed. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. I grew up making spreadsheets. I would make spreadsheets and PowerPoints for fun when I was like eight and nine. I was a weird child. <laughs> that, is, that is odd. But I, I think, I mean, at least now I would observe that and say, this kid's going places. Like he's making spreadsheets as a, as a young teen, preteen. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so, I'm so glad, like in retrospect, doing that because I mean I spend so much time in spreadsheets now with ads and whatnot. I'm like, yeah. wow, I'm glad I've been doing this for ten yeah. years. But um, so basically, went to them um, and they were like, all right, they kind of watched my success over the past year, two years, and whatnot. So I got this loan for three thousand dollars, essentially bought like my minimum base equipment I would need to purchase to get into this, and just started selling them on eBay. And then once I sold probably 30, 40, 50 pairs on eBay. I was like, all right, I'm going to make a website, whatever that meant. I had no idea how to do that at the time, but threw up a website and kind of one thing, I mean, it was, that was back in 2013, August, 2013. I threw up my first website, started selling stuff slowly on Instagram. And like from then to now it's, we still make socks. They just not printed on Nikes anymore. Um, but the process of the whole thing has stayed relatively similar to that with basically gets more complex along the way. But it was a very slow growth. Like the first three years, I think we did like $200,000 in revenue total. And then the next year we got to like 800. And then the next year was a million and slowly growing year over year, um, even up until this last point. It's just interesting to watch because it's so easy to look at it from this side now. We did like 2.5 million last year and it's easy to look at that and be like, wow, when in reality, that was eight years in the process. Yeah, yeah. It was super... Um one just hats off to you for for having the idea and I love the proof of concept process I think there is something to be learned from that even an established business trying something new do a proof of concept right Jim Collins one of my favorite business authors and thinkers talks about you know fire bullets and then cannonballs so test a little idea it works okay now go big on that idea and that's exactly what you did now hoopswagon and I want to talk about pet party because that's kind of the the newer and, and sounds like the bigger venture, but but hoopswag.com, that's primarily aimed at printing socks for teams and sports fans and stuff. I see you have more than that on the site, but is that is that the main focus of that site is is still basketball and or sports and 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 teams, sports teams? 
Yeah. So one thing, like, like I said, we started with that and we would just do these preset designs that I would come up with. And that's what it's been for six, seven years, but more so in the past 12, 18 months, we've started shifting more towards how can we service these teams better? Like as a varsity coach, we reach, I probably sent you a cold email, honestly, like four <laughs> years ago, I emailed everyone in the U S I could find, and we would do team stocks and fundraisers and whatnot. And looking at how we can sort of service that area better. We still do D to C, but it's mostly pushing towards that. Got it. Yeah, parents go nuts. So, so one, you know, the team goes nuts, right? You want to order, you want a hoodie, you want socks, you want all that. And parents go nuts too. And I am a parent and I, uh, obviously I'm a coach and a parent, so I think I've got a good balance, but I still like to buy the swag. And, and um, yeah, what, what a cool, what a cool market for you to be in. Uh, and then, and then talk about, talk about Pet Party. Where did the idea for that come from? And, and, and what is Pet Party? Yeah, so Pet Party is, long story short, we take people's dogs or faces or cats or animal, animals of any sort, and we just crop them out and put them on different products, um, mostly socks. Now, the idea for that, I wish I could say was super original, but it really wasn't. Back in 2017, this company called Pup Socks popped up, um, and they basically spammed everyone on Facebook. Like during that Christmas, it was crazy. I've never seen so many ads from someone. And I was like, what are they doing? They're just putting people's dogs on socks. Like I already prints, I've been printing I socks. Process. I can do that. Like, why not? Now I hopped into that. Didn't really know what I was getting myself into just because like, and I'm sure we'll get into the process of that stuff in a bit. But like, there's a lot more that goes into that. Once someone's uploading a picture, you have to crop it. You have to make sure it looks okay and then put it on a background and then print it. And everything is like a one-off print. So it's a totally different, we're, we're still printing stuff, print on demand for hoop swag, but like it's a totally different thing because now there's an entire artwork process behind it that has to take place in the background. But I hopped into that in like 2018. Um, and it's a super seasonal business, honestly. Like we do most of our sales November and December. Socks are Makes the number sense. one gift item every year for like the last 40 years or something like that. And so... so which is so funny. Uh, but I know, I know for me, like some, I forget to ask for socks or forget to go buy socks sometimes. So Christmas, you know, the holidays, that's a good time to ask for socks. They're so. perfect stocking stuffers. Like exactly. you can hate on them. Funny socks. You can't yep. go wrong. Funny socks. You're going to get a, you're going to get a laugh, you know, regardless. So exactly. Uh, so that's, that's awesome. Uh, but it looks like you, you've added some additional things. I'm seeing, I'm looking at a, a face mask here with a cute golden retriever on it and some snowflakes. I'm looking at a, at a mitten, like an oven mitten with cats on it. Uh, so some really cool stuff. Ties. Uh, yeah, we've added a couple products over the past, I'd say probably six, nine months. Um, but like we did masks, obviously, because of the whole pandemic and whatnot. Sure. And then the oven mitts I launched back in 2019. And those have done surprisingly well. I never thought people would need that many oven mitts. But um, we we move a lot of oven mitts. That is hilarious. And and yeah, you know, there was a period of time when, when it, it kind of seemed like, okay, maybe does it really make sense to get into masks? How long will that last? But, you know, it probably makes sense. And I know from personal experience, I, I like to have a variety of masks. I don't want to just wear the, the, you know, the cheap surgical one, like whatever. I like to, I like to have a, a comfy mask. Um, so so that, that's interesting for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your growth and some of the vehicles you used for growth, just because it's always interesting. Audience always wants to know that. Like, how did you grow so much? And then uh, from there, then we'll pivot and start talking process because I know that's what your one of your superpowers and what you're really good at. And I think it's also a skill set that everybody needs and that not everybody is maybe as naturally good at that as you. Maybe for those that weren't creating spreadsheets, you know, as a preteen, you know, processes don't come quite as easily. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but first, 
what were some of your primary growth vehicles? So once you like pivoted to your own site and stuff, were you using a lot of paid media? Were you were you trying to get organic growth, going after SEO? What what was kind of the the process of growth there? It's really changed over the years. I mean, obviously, like stuff in the advertising and growth world changes so quickly. But back in 2013, I was doing really well sending free socks to these sneakerheads who had hundreds of pairs of shoes. And at the time, they had like 200,000 followers on Instagram. And like, I'm this 13-year-old kid sending them free socks. But that was that was accessible then. And when they would post it, it would go to all 200,000 people. And so that would do really, and they, really and they well. And they would be like, hey, this is a cool kid doing his own thing. Like, I'm going to wear these socks and promote it and stuff. It's funny. I don't even know if they knew I was a kid, honestly. <laughs> I would text them. But it's just funny. You've got these dudes who are like living in Miami or wherever. And they've got all these shoes and taking these fancy pictures with cars. And I'm like, I'm just this 13-year-old kid sending them socks. Yeah, but. Yeah. So we did that a bunch and that worked well, but obviously like as Instagram changed and it became more saturated on the platform, that started to not work as well. And then they wanted to get paid for it and and that evolves. And so after that, um, the next thing we kind of moved into, I tried SEO a bit. I've never personally had success for what I'm doing with SEO. Partly we have... It's a game now. That that was actually the the core of what OMG did back in the beginning, back in like 2010. To, well, until to, to fairly recently, uh, it still works. It's a very manual process and there's really no shortcuts, right? So you just have to build great content, naturally get backlinks. It's just, it's just a real process. It's a long game, right? Long game, for sure, yeah. Yeah, so I tried that a bit back. I mean, that was probably 14, 15. Um, and I never had, like, it's a long game. I wanted quick results as a 15-year-old. You don't know what you're doing. So sure. that was, I was kind of like, ah, we'll keep trying stuff. And so after that, um, we started working with like teams. That's when we first started working with teams, essentially. That was like, which for us works really well because I know that like our product is really good. And once we get product in hand, I know people will continue to buy stuff. Like it's, we've, that's proven. And so we were like, all right, what's the fastest way to do that is sell discounted socks to teams because you can move 100, 200 at a time, get yep. them in hands and expose yourself essentially. So we started moving towards that and like launched some high school basketball programs where we would literally send basketball teams free socks and then they generally end up buying them for like their JV and freshman teams. So we'd break even, but we'd get socks in hands. Yep. And so basically our entire model was, again, Hoop Spike still was very like Christmas heavy. So the whole model was like, how can we not lose money the rest of the year? Because we know these people will come back and buy gifts during Christmas. So we did that and we tried a little bit of paid with Hoop Swag. Honestly, never had great success. Um, the most success we've ever had there has been with the team sales and, and fundraising. And with fundraising, I mean similar things. Like instead of selling popcorn, kids selling socks um, with their school's logo. So with Pet Party though, um, that's where I really started to get into growth. I wouldn't say I was heavy into growth with Hoop Swag. Um, the one other thing I forgot to mention was we actually, when I was back in 2017, we got a feature with CNN that ended up on the front page for like three wow. days. Nice. Um, centered more so around the fact that I ran the company, which was fine at the time, but like the company, we'd done more revenue in three days than we did in like two years from this article and all <laughs> the other stuff. So it's just crazy how a little bit of luck like that kind of plays into it. Yep. And all those people became customers that like still order stuff to this day. So that helped massively as well, which I, I forgot to touch on. But and I, and I think there are there are some principles there though, uh, Brennan, that, that are worth underscoring is when you're doing a lot of things, when you're hustling, when you're producing a great product, you're getting the hands of people, trying different things, you're, you're getting it out there, then you're going to get some lucky breaks, right? There's going to be some things are going to roll your way. It may not be a CNN article, maybe something else, but like you prepared yourself for that by working so hard. Uh, and then so you, and you took advantage of it. 
Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really important point is like putting yourself in the the right space for those things to hit lucky. Because like, especially with e-com, you see so many people now that I, I think don't put any effort into the product, which seems yes. like it should be the core of the business is like, if your yes. product sucks, absolutely, you can't pay to sell a crap product. So yeah. it's like, just putting yourself in the right place, I think, and doing things the correct way. Like that was the other really massive thing I never thought about. The whole reason, fun fact, this CNN article happened was I was doing a press release for the fact that I had acquired a company. They were one of my competitors. It had nothing to do with me. It was the fact that I acquired someone. The only reason I acquired them was because we had done things like relatively ethically the whole way in terms of our legal paperwork checked out. And like, it's just funny how the chain of events of doing things correctly, like again, can put you in that situation for that to happen. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and focusing on the long term, but the interesting thing is in e-com and in digi- you know, digital business, the long term could be four or five years, right? Like, you know, yeah. you build up something and have a great exit, you know, in a short period of time, but you have to have that long term mentality, which is really cool. So, so then with uh, Pet Party, then did you invest in some, some paid traffic? Do you do a decent amount of Facebook ads, Instagram and, and you know, Google, anything like that? Yeah, so with Pet Party, I kind of dove into paid since that's how I initially actually got exposed to the other company that was doing them. And I was like, all right, if they're doing it, it's clearly something's working. And so I I sort of knew how to do ads, not really, to be honest with you, but after a bunch of YouTube videos, literally finding people on Facebook, just taking in as much information as I could. And there's so much information, whether it's good or bad, you kind of have to filter through it. Um, but, and then honestly hopping into like Facebook ads manager and just testing with stuff. Like I feel like that's the best way I've learned is just testing but we invested heavily into that. And and again, it's very holiday centric. Like we spend, I'd say 80% of our money, October, November, December, and the rest of the year it's retargeting stuff. Um, But I finally kind of got the hang of like, how do you actually run? Like, what is a funnel? I didn't even know what that was. Like, how do you run a funnel, a prospecting ad and then retarget them? Why would you want to do that? Um, And then on top of that, one thing that was pretty important to us um, back in 2018, but like even more so now is like our email lists are like what we live and die by at this point. Uh, especially with like all the stuff that's happening with Facebook now, you never know when your platform is going to get taken yeah, away. Yeah. IOS, iOS 14, you know, tracking limitations. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. The, the, the next several months, I mean, this you know, this year, 2021, could be very interesting. Yeah. From the, from the perspective of the big ad platforms and how do you track and attribute? It's and, a different. It's going to change and people have to adapt. But at the end of the day, that's why I love email because you can come back to it and you own it. Um, same yeah. with text has done well, but it's so we, interesting how many times people have been like, "Oh, email is going to die." <laughs> You know, the kid, the kids these days, they don't email. Like, well, of course they don't email. I have a reason to email yet, but there comes a time when everybody emails and it's yep. just tried and true and it just works and it's going to work for the foreseeable future. And, and yeah, just kind of a quick side note. And then I want to get into this, you know, uh, process development and building out systems and stuff, software, VAs, all that. Um, I, I think there's actually, there could be a benefit. Now, now first of all, I, I would like for tracking to stay consistent. I would like to be able to, to know what's going on in great detail with our marketing. Um, as a consumer, I, I get the idea of, of more privacy, but the core of marketing is never going to change, right? Good message for a good product to the right audience at the right time, right? With a compelling offer, that's always going to work, right? We're going to have to get creative maybe in the way we track. We're going to have to get smarter in the way we target. Um, but I think regardless of what happens with attribution or with that, you know, with, with tracking limitations and pixel limitations, good marketers are still going to be able to succeed. 
Oh, 100%. Like you said, it's the fundamentals stay in place. Yeah. The other stuff kind of will fall in place. And honestly, it could create for a much cleaner ad marketplace. It like could, you could, it could. There could. Get rid of all the other drop shipping garbage and all of this like stuff that is just not quality branded content stuff. So I think it's actually might be good for the platform. I totally agree. It could be very painful, but it could allow real businesses and great products to shine in, in the long term. So, so yeah, awesome. Well, let, let's talk about, uh, so you're, you're kind of a master of creating processes and finding you know duplicatable tasks and processes and automating them, systematizing them, that type of thing. Was that, was that something you did from the beginning or was it, did it more come out of necessity where you were doing everything in the business and you realized okay, there's only one of me and I can only do so much. Yeah, when I first got to that point of there's one of me and I can only do so much, the answer was higher. And that's just, I think, a default that I had. I mean, I was 15 at the time and I was like, I can't make socks. It was as simple as I can't make the socks, ship the socks and market the socks. I don't have time to do all. And so I was like, okay, we have to hire. And so at that point, that was all I ever knew. And I think as I got older and, and exposed to more things. And like, I've had a couple mentors, honestly, that have been extremely helpful to that too, to exposing me to the fact that process does exist or like what process development even is. Um, that at first it was, the answer is higher. But now when you run into the same issue, I approach it a lot differently, I think. Yeah, totally makes sense. Uh, just a quick side note to this mentor concept. Uh, a lot of people think about that, talk about that. How did How did you find these mentors? Maybe it's a little easier when you're, a kid and you can just ask somebody, hey, you want to be my mentor? Um, but but how did that come about? It's a very funny story, actually. Uh, so the guy who I would say probably has been like the biggest mentor of the past two, three years, his name's Dennis Yu. I don't know if you've... Yeah, I, don't know, I know who he is. I don't know him, but I know who... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. looking at a lot of the same events. I mean, I see his... Yeah, oh, he's all over Facebook stuff. Like yeah, yeah. you've seen him somewhere. I literally found him. I was like being a dumb 16 year old and adding people on Facebook, just all the recommended people. And I added him and he messaged me um, about something. And then I ended up talking to him about, I don't even know what. And I ended up going to one of his events a couple months later in Phoenix. And I don't wanna, like, I just got along with him really well. And like, he is one of the most interesting system. Like, that's where I picked up a lot of my process stuff from, honestly, is like watching how he functions, like on the back end of everything. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing I will say to that that has been super interesting is there's always this concept of mentorship, which I hate that is perceived sometimes as like a one person is just teaching the other. I think it's a very much so two-way street. Yeah. In terms, there's a lot of stuff he's picked up from me because sure. of my age or what I'm exposed to. Yep. Um, and I think having that perspective going into looking at how can I develop other relationships with similar type people where it's a two-way street. Um, but like for me, I can learn so much from someone that's been in industry for 20 years and they can learn a lot about what's happening right now sort of behind the scenes they might not know about. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's just, a, again, a reminder, you know, go to events, connect with people online. You, you never know who who's, you know, quasi-famous that you may connect with and really hit it off with them. And they, they really enjoy chatting with you. And and so, yeah, I think it's just a, a challenge, again, to, to be in the right places, to attend events and, and kind of see what happens. And then I think another thing that I would, that I would stress is, you know, if you are thinking about a mentor, also think about how can you just consume someone's content, right? Like I would, I would view Jim Collins as a mentor. I've never met Jim Collins. I'm not going to have any meetings with him probably unless, you know, paid a lot of money or whatever, but like I consume his content obsessively. And so like, he's a mentor. All right. On the flip side, you know, like Ezra Firestone is also a friend, but mm -hmm. we, uh, we met, uh, I saw him after he spoke at like one of his first events, the Trafficking Conversion Summit. 
in San Francisco ages ago, talked to him afterwards. Uh, he was launching a mastermind. I'm like, hey, I'm in. Uh, and that kind of led to this, this friendship, but also a partnership. And, and so things like that are super, super valuable. Uh, go to the event, make the connection. You never know what's going to happen, you know? So Yeah, and you could get left out in the cold too. Like that's how, I, the amount of events cool, you've probably like gone fine. to. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But it's, and, yeah. And, and maybe that, that happens for a reason. Maybe you wouldn't have connected really well with that person. Sure. No, no harm done. Like you still, still try because for, you know, every few of those are going to crash and burn. You're going to get a Dennis Hugh where like- You'll hit one. Yep, yep. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, let's talk then about uh, what did you start systematizing first? How did you kind of approach that? And then we'll get, and then I want to get into your kind of your approach and your process. Uh, but, but what sure. did you kind of automate first? I think the first thing I started to automate was when I got into the pet socks. I was like, all right, um, we need to basically for context, so someone uploads an image, right? We have to crop it and then place it on the selected background color that they want. And it also has to be put on the right template for the right product um, with an order number and all this other stuff. And I was like, all right, I clearly am not going to sit here and I can't do this a hundred times a day. Like I, I would spend all day doing that and probably still wouldn't get them all done. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go get some VAs. So I go on just Upwork at the time and was like, all right, I don't know how to hire a VA. Like you just put a dumb ad out. And this was like the start of my learning process. But that's sort of where I, I started, which was literally I gave them my Shopify login and was like, yo, go for it. Here's a quick little YouTube video I made on how to do it. And there was a bunch of mistakes. Like, I mean, it went, it was, didn't go horribly wrong, but like I'd say there was a 15, 20% error rate, which is pretty horrible. That's pretty um, it's that's not sustainable for sure. No, no. And so like, that's how it started though. It was, I knew nothing better. And then slowly just like evolution wise, we started, I moved from them going into my Shopify to a Google sheet to like now it's software that they never touch. And so that's been a three-year process. But along with that, like we've used similar process for like, all right, you start with a VA for, for example, they manage our social now. We do a bunch of outreach, like sending product to people. Again, I don't have time to sit on my phone and message a thousand dog, random dogs on Instagram to send them product. Um, but like creating process for the VAs to follow. Uh, that's, but anyways, that's, that's when I got into it was probably with that stuff. You're targeting dogs on Instagram. That's that's a really funny concept. So you're finding people that have created profiles for their dogs. You're reaching out to them, sending them product. That's great. Oh, it's it's a beautiful concept because they have like 20 followers. And so when I reach out to them, they're like, oh my God, like this account, they found me. Like they clearly love my dog. And yeah. I send them, I'll send them like free they've product. Made it, right? They feel like everything yeah. they've done in getting their, their pet, uh, this own profile, they're totally validated now, right? Exactly. You're validating them. And I then you're sending them- yeah, you're sending them socks. And then what's the best part though is they take all the time in the world to send you like really good product photography. And then they want you to use it because it helps spread them too. It's just, it's a very interesting little like hack I would say I found. Yeah, interesting. Going after profiles of dogs, which means going after the owner, but but smaller. Uh, well, when people talk about like micro-influencers, I'm like, I don't even know what you want to call these because they have like 20 followers. It's not like, oh, they only have like a couple thousand. It's like they literally have 20 followers. <laughs> But you know, like you, you, what, what's the cost of it? the cost of the VA reaching out? Cost of the pair of socks? Yeah, and then some of those people may go nuts and like tell like all their friends and family, and 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 you know that and and their twenty followers could totally be worth it. Oh, exactly. Um, yeah, super cool. So so you 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 kind of automated that as well. So let's maybe talk about. Uh, I want to talk about more of the the stuff you've automated, but but going from VA to software. 
Uh, was this software you you purchased or software you developed on your own? At first, um, okay, so for background, I can get along a little bit development-wise here, but I am by no means like a professional software developer. So like I tried you doing it. developing when you were like eight or something? Like you started- uh, High school, high school. Okay. Freshman year of high school, I picked up some HTML. Okay. Um, but I literally started trying to build stuff in, I don't know if you're familiar with like Retool. It's like a dumbed down, easy way for non-software people to build software. Um, and so I started trying to make stuff in there after a point where like, I was like, all right, these VAs keep messing it up. I need to fix this. Like the way to do this is you look at where, what are the errors they're making? A lot of them have to do with validation errors. I was like, all right, that's something that I can write a couple lines of code that validates it. And that would solve that problem. Right. And so then I started looking at like, okay, well, that's great that I understand the logic of what needs to happen, but how does that happen on a web page? Like, I, I don't know how to do that. And so I started looking at these interim software products, which was like a retool type thing, um, which is building software and it's SaaS. And then after I kind of got to a point where I was like, all right, there's a lot more powerful things we could do. That's when I started to look at and move to like our own development and, and building our own sort of ecosystem to build on top of. Did you start bringing in developers at that point, contract developers, or still doing it a lot on your own? I basically just knew, was self-aware enough to know that if I developed it, it would be garbage in a year. Um, and I brought in like a, a real, I've worked with one guy, honestly, for the past year, and it's just been him and me going back and forth. Um, and he's very good. And like our stuff is a lot slower, but it's written the right way and we're able to build on it easily. But it's definitely a, a, a slower process. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the idea, so the idea of going from, you know, VA to software, I think that's kind of obvious, right? And I was, I just finished a book not long ago, highly recommend it called Always Day One by Alex K. I'll have to look it up. Can't remember his last name. Anyway, he talks about uh, how the tech giants plan to stay on top forever. And so, of course, he talks a lot about Amazon. And the concept of always day one comes from Jeff Bezos, where he says, you know, at Amazon, it's always day one, meaning we're always going to think like a startup. We're never going to get comfortable. We're always going to be innovating and breaking things and, and moving ahead. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the philosophy of Jeff Bezos is anything that's repeatable, Anything that's even remotely repeatable, we're going to automate. We're going to uh, find a way to automate it. And with them, it's going to be, you know, based on machine learning and AI, yeah. ideally, so that you free pe people up to do the creative work, the inventing, to invent the next thing. Like, let's automate everything else. So I think there's, there's like a level of being obvious that, hey, going from paying people to do something to having software makes sense, frees you up. Was that the goal all along or when, when did you kind of transition from, okay, we have VAs doing it, it's going to be better if it's just software? I think that uh, one thing to that also is like one big thing we've learned is you can't just go to software. There has to be that sort of middle step. Um, and I, I mean, I gradually went through it, but now when I approach things, I'm like, yeah, you could turn it directly into software, but I want VAs to go through it to a point. And if you look at it, like you think of scale, right? Like we're just going to take arbitrary numbers here. Maybe you have your own personal thing. You're like, okay, zero to a hundred tasks. You're going to have a VA do it a hundred to a thousand. You have some sort of software, someone else's, and then it passes a thousand, you develop your own. And one really important reason that I, I don't know that I realized at first was if you don't have a VA do it, like within that hundred, you're going to have these different exceptions that come up and ways to deal with things. And if you try to develop software from day one, it's not going to work because trying to develop it for this perfect use case never ends up working. And you end up figuring out, oh, this could be more useful or this could be more useful. And so I think that's a, I, I, it's such a crucial stage, I think, is first yourself going through it, being able to teach someone else to do it, and then seeing how they perform within it, I, I think is 
a super valuable stage. 100% agree. If you don't see it and see where people get stuck or hung up or whatever, like you're probably going to be trying to build software, automate a system that's not very well thought out. Exactly. You refine the process and then build out the software. For us, we have something similar on the on the Amazon side of our business, Amazon ad management, where you know we we considered buying software, partnering with one of the big Amazon ad software platforms. Really, haven't found one that that works the way we want it to work, or that optimizes the way we optimize. So for years, we just did everything manually, like just you know downloading spreadsheets, crunching numbers, doing things. It's really time intensive and really difficult. So then we transitioned from that to bulk uploads to then automating a lot of stuff around bulk uploads and like just continue to automate more and more. And now we've got our own API project that's in the works, both on reporting and optimization, which is really exciting. But but yeah, I think it's kind of the same thing. We're like, yeah, we can't just, if we use this software, we're missing out on like three steps that we like for ad yeah. management that we'd be giving up. And so we, we couldn't go that route. So Totally That's interesting sense. too. You mentioned that you start with downloads to bulk uploads to there's a total, it's a, I, I forgot about all that stuff. There's a total evolution of that. Yeah, like yeah. automation wise, there's like yeah, half yeah. automation. Exactly. It's like you have quasi automation. And sometimes that that's what you need to begin with because you're like, well, I could still save 30% of my time or 20% of my time if I did this, but still remain, maintains control. We're still getting the, the, the result we want to get. And then, and then you go kind of go from there. Um, Cool. So then, then what else have you automated? And then uh, I want to just kind of get maybe uh, kind of peel back the the curtain and see, you know, what what is your philosophy for terms of automation, or how do you tackle a, a project? You know, sharing any tips that we haven't already already looked at. Sure. Yeah. So in terms of actually what what stuff we're automating, um, a lot of that has to do with the cropping process now. So image comes in, we, for example, we used to send out a full PSD file to a VA that would crop it. Now they're just doing the image um, that is going to be put on, not like the full composite image, but literally just the cropped image, which now gives us the ability to build our own AI models around this because we have a before after type thing. So it gives us all this new flexibility, but so image gets cropped, then it gets thrown onto, it has to go through an approval queue, essentially saying this is okay or this isn't okay, which builds in a whole nother level of like, we basically automatically remove VAs from our system if they're not, if they're not meeting the standard nice. because we have all those stats, right? So after that, then it goes in, it's thrown onto a, comp- we, it renders somewhere in the, on a server, um, turns into this composite file, which then also is approved to make sure like the image looks okay against the background and everything. And at that point, it's sent over to like our printing computers, which are on site here. We do all of the production, but there's, there's that. And then there's also, this piece of software we've built ties into anything with customer service because there's inquiries that come in regarding the orders themselves. How do we make edits? Um, how are we sending contextual shipping emails? All sorts of stuff like that. Um, that's been like our main piece of software that we've built on top of. But the really cool thing and what I'm excited about is we are at a point now, really in the past month or so, I would say, where like we have the tech to essentially be a Nike ID from a customization perspective where we can generate stuff on the fly, like the names, numbers, and everything, our manufacturing process falls in line with all of this, which is another really key piece to this. Um, And that's a whole almost different type of process development. But how those two connect is a very interesting world as well. But anything from that to like, we've automated more of the social um, in terms of like our Facebook ad reporting, I run, we have like some mini API service stuff that we run our own, similar to what you guys are doing. It sounds like you run your own reporting sort of algorithms, if you will, on them. Um, since it's how you do it and it's just automated decision-making is all it is. Yeah. So awesome. 
But in terms of philosophy too, which I, I know you mentioned, one, I, it's so simple to me because it, it, I mean, it's so complex, but at the same time, so simple. My answer to that is like, if you can make a flow chart, it should be software. Like, and the reality is most of like our training and documentation that I do at first, I do in like Lucidchart. I love Lucidchart to death. This is like my, I spend half my time on this website. And it's just like the easiest way to make flow charts or whatever that I found. But I have you use so this is really interesting. So you use Lucid Chart to kind of map out this is the the flow of a particular process. Uh, that that's kind of like stage one for you. Yeah, it sounds really simple, but like the the I literally have a box. I set a box on the left or on the top and on the bottom, and it's like here's the start or the input, and here's the output. And there's going to be a bunch of boxes in between about how you get there and things that connect to it and whatnot. Um, but that is generally how I'll start process development in my in my brain, at least. And the other thing I think to mention is like, that is not a quick process. Like I'll go through these, I'll keep adding to them every day because you'll go to bed and think about something or you'll be exercising and think about something. Like, I think it's important to, like when people say sleep on it, I, I sleep on it a lot um, in terms of like really putting a lot of thought into how you get from point A to point B. Because there's 10 different ways you can get from point A to point B, yep. but understanding the order of operations and how do those affect external business things and and just being super conscious about that um, is generally how I come about general process. Yeah, and kind of letting an idea marinate a little bit and, and being conscious of something, but also letting the subconscious work a little bit and and solve some of the, those problems, uh, which which is really fantastic, really great. So, lucid chart. I've heard a few people mention that. I've not actually played around with that. Gonna have gonna have to do that. Gonna have to check it's a, it out. It's a stupid, simple tool. It literally draws rectangles with arrows in between them. Like that's that's the core of what it does. And it sounds dumb, but it's the most like efficient tool I found for it. Nice, nice. That, that's that's great. Um, and so then, what what are your goals then when you're trying to automate a process? Is it is it primarily to free up time? Is it primarily to improve? the product and the experience for the customer? Is it a combination? Like what are you, what, what kind of goals do you have around creating processes that, that kind of make sure you're, you're focused in the right direction as you build it? The biggest thing I look at for process, um, number one, like you, like you mentioned, was like customer experience. How can we make this better for them? Um, is, is definitely one of the top priorities. But the other main thing too is like, how can I get people out? Because people cost money. Um, and... Like, for example, our cropping, when we move to our own software, we cut our costs by 80% because we yeah. control the whole process. And it's like the software paid for itself in a couple of weeks in terms of cost savings. And that's ongoing and that doesn't go away. And so for us, it's like we're very cost-heavy business because we're e-com and cash is in, cash is out. And so cash flow is super important to us. And if we're able to leverage software that we build and are able to like improve that, that is the biggest win we could possibly have. Um, and then toss in the fact that it, end of the day, it makes it a better experience for the customer. And like, for us, that's an overall win. Yeah. Yeah. And I do love, and I'm really glad you said that. I think starting with how do we make the product better? How do we give people what they want? How do we make this a better product, better experience? Start with that. Uh, cost savings, obviously that is the goal. You know, when, when you, when your cash flow is better, you're in a better cash position, you can do better things, right? You, you, yeah. can, you can develop the next product. You can invest in marketing. You can, hire someone when that makes sense, right? Because uh, there are some things that we still have to hire for that software can't do. But anything that software can do, let's let it do it uh, so that you can really uh, grow in advance. So, so that's awesome. Any any other tools you'd recommend? Any resources or, or any 
trainings you would recommend if someone's saying like, okay, hey, my wheels are turning here on what I need to consider automating and processes I need to build. Any 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 tools other than Lucidchart you'd recommend and or trainings and information someone should cons consume? I mean, yeah, for process, especially like at kind of overall, but like web stuff, I think one super interesting tool is Zapier. Like it's very yeah. simple, right? But like, that's how that's how my process has started two years ago as I was on there connecting different apps and building processes together. And yeah, it's changed. Of, and that's on our, uh, if this, then that type. Yeah, of, it's it's uh, understanding logic. basic logic, right? Um, like that's what a flowchart is too. But I, I I will say, I think understanding, like by like I said, I'm by no means like a good programmer, but like I can read code and I can understand for the most part. But I understand the the fundamental functions of how code works. That has made it 10 times easier looking back. And when I go to develop process, I'm much better, better at it now because I know how a developer will look at it and be like, all right, how can we sort of attack this? And then also being able to be that bridge in between makes your development way cheaper because you're not trying to communicate with them. But in terms of tools... So are you, and just to kind of clarify that, so, so you understanding code and, and playing the role of a developer a little bit, you think that's just kind of trained your brain to think in terms of process and to think in terms of sequence and to think in terms of like this idea of clean code where it's not full of a lot of junk and clutter, but it's really, it's just clean and to the point. Like it's trained your brain or, or you mean you're just better able to, to analyze code? No, I mean, analyzing code is great, I guess. But yeah, no, the, to your first point, I think it's much more, because that's how code works, right? There's no yeah, yeah. creative. It's very, it's it works or it doesn't. Um, right. And so understanding like why, if then statements, what a loop is, like why yep. you would want to iterate through things, um, even though it doesn't seem too applicable to process, then the code is process. Um, and if it's good process, it'll be turned into code. So that's, it's being able to go backwards, I think helps. And that's, I wouldn't, like I said, I'm not a great developer. I watched enough YouTube that I can get by, but it's not like I could go code anything on my own. Yeah, but good, but that process really helped. Yeah, it's funny. I just I heard a a teacher say something. And actually, this was in the book called Made to Stick. But an algebra teacher talking about how algebra is like weightlifting for your brain. You may never use algebra again, but that process is going to help you with logical decision making, and probably will help every decision making process you make for the rest of your life. Right. So it's like you don't lift weights just so you can lift more weights, unless you're a bodybuilder, but you lift weights so you can, you know, go tackle somebody or, or so you can lift your grandkids or whatever. And like algebra is the same way. So it seems like, uh, uh, seems like coding kind of did that for you, which is, which is really interesting. It's a hundred percent. Like, I don't know what that is, but building a subconscious muscle essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's also yeah. was a, was a very, very large fan of math in school, which probably had something to do with that as math well. Math is but. awesome. I try to tell my kids that all the time. They don't believe me yet. <laughs> Still working on. I got to go back to that weight training example. I think that's a really good one. I haven't used that one in a while. So, uh, so no, that was good. Uh, that, that's awesome. So, uh, man, it's been really fun. So we're we're about out of time. Uh, any other recommendations you would give to people on this this idea of creating processes, or um, you know, any anything you want to share? Well, we'll just, we'll start with that. Any any other recommendations? I mean, honestly, it's not easy, I would say. And so go try to create a process and follow it yourself and see what happens. Because my guess is you can't even create it. Like if you're just starting, I, you probably can't create a process that even yourself can follow if you knew nothing. Or give it to a, a family member or a friend and see if they can do it. And if they, It doesn't have to be like on web or anything, just a process to follow anything. Um, I, I think the most you can learn from this is like trial and error. And then honestly, 
as we, like go get lost in YouTube. There's a lot to be learned there. I think um, like I'll go watch how people or like the process for how some like logistical systems are built. It's not applicable to what you're doing. It's just understanding why other people think the way that they do. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think that totally works because if, if you, if you look at, I remember hearing the story of, of, I believe, I believe this was Henry Ford. And this could have been like one of those made up things, but it makes sense where Henry Ford had the idea for uh, the assembly line by watching like the way a cow was butchered or something. We're like, hey, the, this is the station where they cut the head off. It's really gross. Cut the head off. This is the station where they do this other stuff. And he's like, hey, you could assemble a car that way, right? So the, the totally yeah. unrelated industry, but but that idea, you know, seeing that spurred the idea for the for the assembly line. So um, cool. A- any any thoughts on like what's what's next for Pet Party or for uh, Hoop Swag? Any, anything you want to uh, tease us with there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we're working towards now is like all of our stuff we've developed has been internal and now we're looking at like how can we start to integrate with other people. So one of the biggest things that like I found to work really well is this concept of gifting, for example. So it's the most simple thing, but you send someone a pair of socks with their face on it and a note and like I guarantee you that person talks to you again. Like you can get a hold of them whenever. And Um, they're going to show at least a few people those socks. Oh, it's always posted on social. That's the funniest part. Um, and so we've looked at this, like, it seems like a little bit of a hack, but just customized products because it shows that you care a bit and a bit of thought has gone into it. And where's, where does that cross with like relationships and helping to build those? And so integrating with businesses as part of a sales process. And then on the Hoopswag side, more so like, how can we build our own Nike ID and these automated fundraising programs? So kind of leveraging what we've already built to continue to build these cool products on top Love of it. Love it, man. Love it. And that gift idea is so, so powerful, kind of taps into the the idea of the law of reciprocity that, you know, Robert Cialdini talks about in uh, Influence, uh, his book called Influence. But but it's also like, you can't just give a crappy gift. Like the, this this is so unique and it totally aligns with your business model and it's something that that everybody's going to like. It's just, it's just a brilliant way to, to use that approach. So so yeah. kudos to you on that. Um, awesome. So, so if people are listening and kind of geeking out and saying, okay, I want to follow what Brennan is doing and I want to see what's going on with his websites and stuff. Uh, how can they learn more about your products? And then are you active on the socials and can people connect with you there? Yeah. So the websites are hoopswag.com and then petparty.co, not.com. Uh, and then on social, I respond to, I'm on all of them. I'm not active, but I, I DM a lot. So I'm on Instagram at brennan.agronoff. I think my Twitter is brennanagronoff. There's not anybody else named me, so I'm pretty easy to find. But um <laughs> And then also, if anyone ever just wants to run process stuff, like I will talk process stuff all day. Um, my email is brennanagronoff74 at gmail.com. So. Sweet. All right, man. That is awesome. Thank you for that. Hopefully people will take advantage of that and, and chat with you. Brennan, crushed it, man. This was a ton of fun. Thank you for coming on. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll link to everything in the show notes so people can check out your sites and, and the socials and whatnot. Uh, but thanks, man. This, this was fun. Thanks for having me on. This was an awesome talk. Yeah, absolutely. So as always, thank you for tuning in. We'd love to hear from you. What would you like to hear more of? Uh, give us some guest suggestions. We'd love to, to, to learn more of what you want us to, to dive into. Also, if you've not done it already, we'd love that five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like the show is worthy, helps other people discover the show when you do that. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening.
At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.